You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. Yes. Like I said, I feel like you get a little bit of everything um, and a little bit of everything that New Zealand has to offer. Uh, the beach walking, then there's the forest, which we like to call jungles because they are pretty overgrown again because there's just not a ton of people walking through them and they just have so much plant life it's just a very wet country and um and plethora of plant life there that was patrice levine writer and hiker and i'm misty little your host for the podcast this episode is a bit different than my usual episodes because it isn't particularly about the florida trail at all Patrice and I came to know each other via the old Trail Journals website back in late 2009 or early 2010 when I had signed up to record my hike along the AT with my husband, Chris. Patrice noticed that we were a couple hiking the AT, which is kind of unusual, and it was something that she and her husband had intended to do in the near future. So she made a few comments and we connected and kind of became internet pals. And when we came through New Hampshire on our hike, Patrice and Justin picked us up for a resupply into town and it's been a friendship ever since. We've only seen each other two other times since then, but we've kept an email friendship going this entire time. In 2014 and 2015, she and Justin through hiked the TA in New Zealand, and I'm not even gonna try to pronounce the actual name of that trail. Patrice is a writer by trade, so it is almost natural that she would turn her journal and notes about the hike into a trail memoir. Since I also have a drafted Florida Trail book, we've been cheering each other on through the years with ideas for getting our books published. Well, Patrice finally did it, and Between Each Step was published in November of 2020. And despite this being a Florida Trail-centric podcast, I couldn't pass up an opportunity to chat with Patrice about her hike, her book, and to get the information out to the Orange Blaze audience. I hope you hop over to her website to purchase a book, or you can find her book online at the major online retailers. All right, let's head to the Southern Hemisphere and hear a bit about tramping along the TA in New Zealand. So, Patrice, I guess maybe we're going to start by kind of introducing yourself and and Justin and a little bit about where y'all are from and how you got to hiking and the outdoors. All right. Yeah. So my name is Patrice and I currently live in Alaska with my husband, Justin, in a cabin outside of Denali National Park. But before we bought this cabin last year, we actually were quite nomadic for about nine years. Um, We spent a lot of time moving from place to place and living on the road. And we also did a lot of hiking over the years. So we live a little bit of a non-traditional life and work many different jobs. And sometimes that's seasonal. Sometimes it's on the road. Sometimes it's as freelancers. Sometimes it's year round. So we done a lot of that for work and I like to say we throw a lot of mud at the wall and see what sticks but we've sort of settled down in this community outside of Denali and of course my latest passion project has been my trail memoir between each step and it released on November 15th. Yeah so it's super exciting and I've been you know watching you in the background these last several years from you know your hike starting it and and coming back and realizing you wanted to to put all of that down on paper and all the little things you did you know getting it getting it written and then we're both of us because I have a book as well both of us trying to uh, just dip our toes into the whole publishing world and so it's been fun to see the transformation and then now you finally have this book and it must feel really good Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I realized that you also asked me how I got into hiking. I feel like, you know, writing has always been a part of my life, but I really didn't discover hiking until my 20s. And mainly it was because of Justin. And I this is kind of a funny little anecdote that when I first met him on our first date, he told me that he wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. What's that? (laughs) So I really clearly was introduced to the whole world of hiking and backpacking through him mainly, um, but also just, you know, slowly but surely. But I feel like I always had a book in me. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like you have more books in you for sure. After after reading the book and reading your writing, I, I can see either more memoirs, some fiction or even just, um, you know, I don't know, your life in Denali. Like, I, I, you're a good writer. I like. And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend, but you're a good writer. <laughs> Thank you. 
so I guess to, to back up just a little bit more. So you, we met because of the Appalachian Trail. You followed my trail journal. And so we kind of became friends that way. And, you know, you mentioned Justin wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. And you guys ended up doing that. So maybe talk a little bit about your long distance trail journey. Yeah, certainly. So again, you know, I met Justin at a hiking club, an adult hiking club, and little by little, I really got into the backpacking world um, and realized how much I thoroughly enjoyed that. I did not grow up camping. My family was not a camping family at all. Um, But again, Justin certainly was. And so that's sort of what we did as our pastime over the years and just, you know, weekend warriors going exploring from place to place, especially when we moved around, we always made it part of um, our lifestyle. And so he had it in his head that he wanted to through hike the Appalachian Trail. And over the years, I mean, it took many, many years um, through our relationship for me to really get up to speed. Uh, we made it part of our life plan together. And so we were living actually in New Hampshire at the time and living very traditional lives, you know, with full-time jobs. And uh, in 2010, I was following your journey because we already had it in our head that we were going to hike the Appalachian Trail in 2011. We sort of had set up kind of knowing that we were going to leave our jobs. As you know, it's it's a big commitment, a big privilege to be able to do that. And we had it in our, in our plan to do that. But long distance hiking was certainly still new to us because we really had only spent, you know, two to three nights out in the backcountry before that time. And so in 2010, we actually did part of the long trail. And that was like a surefire way to introduce yourself to backpacking because the long trail is not an easy trail, especially (laughs) the northern part of it. And so we had 10 days of rain and just every mishap with gear and whatnot. Um, But that was sort of our, okay, we're going to get into this, this long distance hiking. So is it going to be something that we can we can do and you know I mean I say this all the time people are like how do I prep for to do a long distance hike and I say you just go and do it because I just feel like you learn as you go and that's what happened to Justin and I we certainly learned as we went and we failed and we learned and we failed and we learned and this is just how it went and but we fell in love with it and really especially on the Appalachian Trail in 2011. Right, right. So most people after they do the Appalachian Trail, you know, and you guys are, I would say, the hardcore people because you went southbound. And that seems like, okay, the hardcore people going southbound, the next thing they're doing is the CDT, or they're doing something, you know, really crazy. But you guys kind of took some time, you all did some other like adventures, uh, your life less ordinary. But what made you kind of decide what your next trail wasn't going to be in the United States. How did that happen? Well, I, I think that we didn't know that, um, we were going to do the, do other trails beyond the Appalachian trail, because when we set out to do it in 2011, we thought, oh, we're just going to return to life as we know it after the trail. We sort of had planned, okay, we can take off for, you know, eight to 12 months and then go back to working and working full-time jobs, but we didn't. And so I think, you know, we were certainly bit by that long distance bug when we were doing the Appalachian Trail. And then oddly enough, well, a few things, but we met a Kiwi, a New Zealander, while we were on the Appalachian Trail. We were going southbound. She was going northbound. We spent one night at a shelter with her and she was talking up the Tiaroa, which was brand new that year in 2011. And we as a couple had always said that we wanted to travel to New Zealand. We're not huge international travelers. We spend a lot of time driving around the United States and love that we're big road trippers. Um, And so when we were thinking about any international travel in our life, we really focused on New Zealand. So it sort of was kismet that we (laughs) heard about this trail while we were hiking and while we didn't want this hiking 
uh, life to end. <laughs> and so she really planted that initial seed for us. And as soon as we got off the trail, like I said, we did not return to those status quo jobs. We took um, a job at a hiker hostel right after that on the Appalachian Trail. And so we were amongst the hiking community and still really in it. And that's exactly when we started reading about more about the TA in New Zealand and, and doing some more research and thinking about when was the next time that we could take off an extended period of time from life and do another trail. Um, so it really was natural that it was going to be the trail in New Zealand rather than something in America. Now, not not for nothing, but we have every trail on our list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but finding that time or being able to carve it out. Um, again, New Zealand felt like it was, uh, it was a dream to get to go there. And we knew that we wanted to travel internationally there. And so to do the human powered route of it just made perfect sense. Right, right. So I guess, Maybe talk a little bit about the TA, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it the right way, because I was pronouncing it one way, you said it another way, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to call it the TA. So um, maybe talk again, what is it? I mean, New Zealand, people probably know it's an island country, two islands, but what's the gist of it? How long, How old is this trail? What's the terrain? And how did you guys prepare, you know, going from the Appalachian Trail and a couple of years off to, you know, the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, so I agree with you. Let's call it the TA because I butcher the name. I I don't I I cannot say it <laughs> correctly. I just don't have the ability. Um, so we'll call it the TA. And yes, so years and years ago, there was a man Jeff Chapel that um really wanted to develop a long distance continuous hike across New Zealand, and so he is really the pioneer that worked with the private landowners and uh, walked the country to to see what what existing trails he could piece together um and like i said it officially opened up in 2011 where they called it a continuous path it's about 3,000 kilometers which works out to be a little over 2,000 miles um for us americans and it does go from the top of the north island to the bottom of the south island of course you're not swimming from island to island, <laughs> break your walking pattern and take the ferry or fly to the South Island to start up there. Um, and the whole point of it, you know, New Zealand is famous for their great walks. They have lots of, um, well, I think that they have nine great walks and that they really mark it as their best pieces. So when people come over to the country, they can do um, a few, a multi-day trip on one of their great walks and this trail really stays off of the beaten path i mean it goes through gorgeous country of course and just a really good snapshot of new zealand at least in my opinion um we got to see a little bit of all of it and there was really only one or two places where we crossed over with the great walks so it's purposely meant to give you that uh slice of life uh in in kiwi country and interact with the towns and the culture and the people there and just be able to see the entire country of course since you're going from the top to the bottom so I, one thing as I'm reading your book I feel like it has a little bit of that European flair of being able to walking on the private property and you know you're walking across England or Scotland or Wales or something like that and you could just walk across the private property land is a lot more open there is that the same situation or is it there's some issues sometimes with private property? How does that work? Well, the TA Trust, which manages the trail, has worked really hard to piece together this continuous path, but it certainly crosses some private property. Um, and in, in New Zealand, it's just it's so different from America for many reasons. Um, and I guess from other European countries, because there's the population is so low for the for the whole country. It's, I think, four million people. And so crisscrossing private land is inevitable. But at the same time, they built this trail so that they would have the permission from the landover to cross it. And when it didn't, when you couldn't cross it, then you're walking on roads, which it's notorious for the road walking, too. Um, but. I think you you just 
it, it's a country where the people are inherently generous. And so if you end up on private property, you don't want to, but if you end up on private property, they are just so nice <laughs> about it. But that that is why it's built so that they have those permissions in place or you're not walking on private property and you're on the roadside right. instead. Okay. Okay. It, it, it's a unique country for, again, for so many reasons. And I think that's one of the reasons that right. they've in place like that. Okay. So I guess to touch on the train again or land it crosses the, the trail it seems extremely diverse uh, land wise i mean you're starting off on a beach you end you know it looks like on a rocky cliff kind of situation at the end of the south island and in between there's anything from insane river crossings which you know i think the ta probably tops florida on any kind of water issues <laughs> anybody on the florida trail shouldn't complain go to the ta <laughs> um and then you guys have crazy mud and mountains and these alpine areas it just it seems in so insane so maybe you'd like just talk a little bit about that like all the interesting diverse places you saw yes like i said i feel like you get a little bit of everything um and a little bit of everything that New Zealand has to offer. Uh, the beach walking, then there's the forest, which we like to call jungles because they are pretty overgrown, again, because there's just not a ton of people walking through them, and they just have so much plant life. It's just a very wet country and, um, and plethora of plant life there. And so... Then you're also doing the road walking, but when you're doing the road walking, you're walking through towns and you're walking on farmland and you're getting these beautiful views. And then there's the dry, arid part that you're walking through. So you have the alpine. I it it just feels like you're touching on every terrain that you would see when you do specifically like the Appalachian Trail and then the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, you, you're combining like these desert environments with the forested and that's what New Zealand is. It's a little bit of everything. Did you end up having a favorite habitat that you like to walk through? That's a really good question. I think that as much as I hated the jungles, I loved the jungles. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I think that you would just die there, Misty, because you <laughs> love plant life and it is so varied there. There's no way I can even start to name off some of the plants and the birds that we yeah. heard there. Yeah, I remember you posting some photos of trees, some tree ferns that were pretty incredible. And I was like, I want, to, I want to be there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The ferns were so gorgeous. <laughs> It it all it all seemed very cool and just uh, just awesome. So <laughs> it's on my list to get there someday when countries open up. I'm sure they don't want us right now. So <laughs> oh, they definitely don't. <laughs> Not that they don't want us. They just can't. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay. So you're through hiking in a different country. Like what kind of is it something else that was different? Uh, you know, we're talking about through hiking but and hiking, but people call it tramping. Is this a New Zealand term or is it a more European, worldly kind of term, you know, with like the general like backpacker, like, you know, post-college kind of backpacker, you know, traveling the world sort of thing. Like, how does, how does that word come about? I believe it's a New Zealand term. Okay. And that is what they called us walkers. They called us trampers. They called it a tramp. Um, it just seemed like that was the, that that's the only time that I heard that term. So, and again, I'm not like super well-traveled on other trails in Europe. So I'm not sure that they call it that any place else, but definitely across New Zealand, tramp was just the, the trail term. So you guys prepared some of your food beforehand because of the cost of resupply there it seemed like that could be a hindrance what what would it be like for someone who wanted to go down there to hike on that the ta what are they gonna need you know food wise what kind of money should they budget that sort of thing 
Yeah, so New Zealand is notoriously an expensive country. And so I feel like for a through hike, even though we were camping a lot, sometimes you do have to pay for your camp spots, uh, again, because you're going through towns. And so what they have what's called holiday parks. And they have freedom camping, that, which we would know as stealth camping. But then there's also established spots that you have to camp. So you are spending a good bit of money and when we were doing our research beforehand, we treated it as a vacation. So we wanted to splurge when we were in town and we wanted to eat out and experience the culture. And we did some touristy things while we were there. And so our budget was probably higher than it was definitely higher than any other through hike that we would do in the States. Um, and I would just recommend that that be part of the the piece of the puzzle because you are, you know, supporting the tourism industry there. And so you're coming into their country and I've heard other hikers go there and not want to spend the money and not have the right budget for it. But you just need to, that's part of planning ahead and preparing when you're going to New Zealand because it is an expensive country. And so you just should be prepped that way that you're going to spend a lot of money. Right. Okay. And I hesitate to put a dollar amount on it because, again, we treated it like a vacation. So, you know, we had sort of saved up for this international trip. We were going over there. We weren't going to spare any expense, really. But, right. again, we spent so much of the time just camping. So you have that to offset some of the other expenses. Now, I was going to mention one of your hiker friends that he had mentioned he had gotten off trail for a few weeks to go make some money. Is that kind of a, a thing that you saw like other hikers doing stopping to make some money or was that like a one-off thing? No, we did because, you know, a lot, we, of course you're going to another country and so you have to apply for a visa and Justin and I at the time were over 30, so we couldn't get any kind of working visa over there, but uh, there were tons of other hikers that were there on a year-long working visa. So they were doing work, but also hiking at the same time, or, or maybe they were working beforehand or planning to work after. So it was very common. Uh, they have a lot of woofers over there. You've probably oh, yeah. heard that term before mm -hmm. for any international travel. And so Mateo was the hiker that you're referring to who worked a little bit in between his hike and his budget was certainly low. He actually did not come to the country to hike. He just had heard about it. And he was one of those. There were a lot of people who just all of a sudden were like, oh, I'm going to hike this trail and had <laughs> never hiked before, which we found to be unbelievable. And these people still succeeded, which is amazing as a first time hike. I would never suggest it as a first time hike. But <laughs> but anyway, uh it was it was fairly common for people to do work while they were there over in New Zealand and recoup some of that spending. Okay. Yeah, that kind of was an inkling in my head after I read that. I was like, I wonder, because just it seems like it's such a worldly kind of thing for, you know, people coming from all sorts of different countries. It's something that they could possibly do. And, you know, I wasn't sure how that worked out. So, yes, I've never done any woofing in other countries, but it's certainly a great way to travel. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's perfect for everybody who's just out of college. Like, I feel like we're definitely on the old end. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel that when I'm on a trail, I always feel like Justin and I were in the middle, like you either are retired or you're just fresh out of college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you and Justin, you know, you're a married couple. That's definitely like not a common thing on you know long distance trails whether you're in New Zealand or in the, in the United States and I've interviewed quite a few married couples or just couples uh hikers on the podcast and I appreciated in the book just like you how you described like just being a married couple on the trail the dynamics of taking you know your regular life onto the trail and you know the different things that yeah, you know, are good and bad uh, for that. You know, you're around each other even more. It's not like y'all y'all are already around each other because you two, you know, work and live and do everything together already. But the trail definitely offers different insights into all of that. So that was a a good perspective that I like to see in the book that I don't think a lot of people get to see. And I um, how was that to write? 
Well, that was really interesting. I think, you know, when I started writing this, it was all about the trail details and capturing the essence of New Zealand. But several people who helped me along the way said, I want to hear more about the relationship between you. I want to hear how you changed, how Justin changed, or how it affected your your marriage. And so <clears throat> I sort of had to dig a little deeper to really think about, you know, how it did change us maybe, or how we interacted on the trail and how that, what that says about our marriage and how that plays into regular life. Okay. So you're a married couple on the trail and I felt like you also, the trail family, the other hikers that came into your lives throughout the trail also like kind of spice up and help that relationship along. So when, just when you're like down or like, Oh man, I don't know if I can hike another mile with this guy. Ugh. Then like along comes somebody else and it just, it reinvigorates that dynamic a little bit and you get to meet somebody else and you chat and you realize like, it's good. It's all good. It's a, it's a trail. We're all having, we're all having a bad day sometimes. Yes. And I appreciated, I just appreciated how you worked that into the book and, and worked, you know, the trail family into the book too. And I, I actually felt sad when like people would break off and, you know, slow down or whatever, especially Matteo. Cause I really loved him. He was hilarious. <laughs> We did too. Oh my goodness. When we separated from him, it, it, it was really sad because we knew that he was getting off to, to do that work for a few weeks. And so we pre- were pretty sure that we were never going to see him again uh, on the trail at least. And, and he did end up finishing the trail, FYI. Oh, that's good, good, good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but he was quite a character and he definitely, like you just said, spicing up, you know, introducing people into your pod could sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and we've always found that we're pretty easy to get along with and we can um we like other people uh often on the trail it's fine you know and so it seems like it often happens that we pair up or end up in groups and it happened to us on the Appalachian Trail too so it's fun to introduce another character into our duo that we constantly have and Justin and I tend to be hike only ourselves because we don't because we travel around so much and we're nomadic and we don't have other friends that are close by that are hiking so this is this is typical to just be us on the trail so when we're on a long distance trail it definitely breaks up that monotony of being mad at each other or you know being frustrated and just having somebody else's perspective, I think, you know, because we know how we know how each other is going to react and we definitely compensate for each other in a good way. But when you introduce somebody else's opinion, it's really helpful in a relationship, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so speaking of the trail family that along the way, you you um, you met a whole bunch of different people. Some, some you liked better than others. It seemed <laughs> there was one character that just seemed a little off-putting and I couldn't tell if he was just like because of the language barrier or, or what, but um, it was uh, very interesting. And I thought it was just cool, just how diverse the, the groupings were than you might even see on you know any of our trails for sure. Diverse is the right way, way to put it. I mean, I think it was so different for us versus the Appalachian Trail because we found that there were so few Americans on the TA. And so it was like this international international intersection of people. And so you had so many cultural and language barriers that come into play. And again, the, the level of experience on this trail seemed like it was lower than the Appalachian Trail, at least the people we encountered, you know. Um, And so a lot of times it was like, oh, this is the first time I'm doing a trail, which was really surprising just again, because we found it to be so brutal that it felt like a bad introduction to to long distance hiking. But yeah, I mean, so many different characters out there that it, it was, it was almost like it was 
like we were visiting all these different countries at the same time as visiting New Zealand because we learned so much from the others and from their cultures too and their practices and their awesome places that they tried to sell us on to yeah. go visit and hike. <laughs> a longer list was created from that. Yes. <laughs> now you're talking about, you know, the trail being pretty tough. Like what what do you recommend for people who want to come hike the TA? You know, I've seen people, you're talking about just all these different people coming and working in New Zealand and then just happening to be on the trail and they kind of hike for a little bit and get off. And it seems to be much more of a flexible hike versus, you know, the narrow, like, I follow every blaze sort of situation. Is this, what do you recommend for for someone who would like to just get a little taste of New Zealand? Well, the TA has definitely evolved since we did it in 2014. And so the mapping and navigation issues that we had are not, not that they're solved completely, but they're a little easier. And so it, it's, it's a changing trail. It's a dynamic trail. And I hesitate to say that, that key phrase, hike your own hike, but the TA is a perfect example of a choose your own adventure. I always say that if I were to redo it, I probably would skip the road walking just because there was a lot of it. And again, that's changed a little bit too. There's a, there's definitely less road walking than there was when we did it. But I feel like you can still get that variety of terrain by doing different sections. If you, if your whole purpose is to, hike from the top of New Zealand, New Zealand to the bottom, then this is a great trail to follow. But if your whole purpose is to have those cultural experiences, I would want to do spend more time in different areas of New Zealand and less so of this line from the top to the bottom. Okay. But I, I just think that, you know, Again, everybody's travel plans are different. You know, if you have more time, we only had a six-month visa, so we knew we were confined to that period of time. And I think if you can do it different seasons and different timelines, that's where you can find the best of what you're trying to, to go after. If it is being a purist and staying on trail... Well, this trail is a little hard to do that, but you can, but it's doable. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's just that you want to experience New Zealand, then there's pieces of it that you can enjoy. I, I know that there's a lot of people that we met our year and that thereafter who, um, who end up just doing, say, the South Island. But I just, I think that there are pieces of the North Island that I love just as much. Right. Now, I feel like the North Island, was that the more pop- populous island? Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah, the South Island seemed more rugged, seemed just a lot more like you're, I don't know, you're out, out there (laughs) in some aspects. Right. And it kind of felt more like you're, that's the backpacking trail, at least in our experience. It just, you know, there's longer stretches where you go between resupply and there, there was more wilderness. I mean, I, I say that, but like New Zealand's whole country is, is wilderness anyway, yeah. even when you're going through towns and, and cities. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that's why a lot of people gravitate to just hiking the South Island because that's those pieces of trail when they, when they formed this TA as a complete continuous path, those were already existing, those trails on the South Island. Okay. So now you mentioned the road walks. Is it like, you know, the Florida Trail or the CDT or anything like that where they're actively trying to get roadwalks taken away? Or is just the roadwalks are just part of the TA and will always be part of the TA? I think it'll always be part of the TA. I I know that they've done a lot of work to piece together the sections they can, again, working with private landowners, but it's just inevitable. Uh, There's not even that many roads in New Zealand. And when I say roads, a lot of them were just gravel areas. And it's just, if you're going to be traipsing across private land the whole time, then that might be, um, if they can figure out all that, uh, all of those uh, partnerships with the landowners, but that's just, that's a pipe dream. There's always going to be road walking on this continuous path. Okay. Yeah. It's, that's what it seemed like. It seemed like they weren't nearly as active as 
I guess we try to be or want to be uh, in getting trails off of roads. But like you said, um, they're more. There's a lot more country roads, so it's not necessarily as a beat down as. You do. I mean, you do have like those high traffic roads. I, I remember reading that, but at the same time, it's not nearly as bad as I feel like some of, some of our roadblocks can be. And it's not for lack of effort. I mean, they're the TA trust that manages the trail. I mean, it's such a small endeavor for, or well, small organization for a big endeavor, really. Yeah, yeah. They don't have as many volunteers and hands on deck to to help accomplish some of these tasks. Yeah. So you mentioned volunteers. That's something I was thinking about earlier was, is, what is, is there like a volunteer coalition? Do they have any trail maintainer groups? Like how, how does that work? Coalition is probably a strong word to use for it. They, you know, TA trust that manages the trail. And then there's also the department of conservation that manages the huts there. And so they all work in partnership and they have individual groups kind of throughout the islands that, might have volunteers that help work toward this or might have actual workers that do, but it's less so of an organized coalition that you would think of like the ATC or the CDTC mm. <laughs> and the PCTC or PCTCA, yeah. uh, all of those other groups that we have in America, they, you know, would love probably to get there, but they just don't have the manpower or the resources or the funds for it. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a new trail. Like if you want to hike a new trail, this is one to hike. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, now it feels, you know, when it first opened 2011, that feels in, that feels like it was a long time ago and that there should be, maybe some people would expect there'd be more progress, but it, it's just such a big, it's just a just small piece of New Zealand tourism as well. So they just don't have the the resources again or the funds to put the attention right. building it into the trail that we all want it to be. Right, 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 of course. So when you guys came back to the States and you settled in, how were you already thinking of having of writing this book as you're as you're walking along the trail? Were you already keeping more detailed notes than you might have done on the AT. How did this, how did the book begin to form? I think, you know, when we hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2011, a lot of people asked, oh, are you going to write a book about your through hike? But as we all know, there's a million books out there about the AT. And so I never, I never really thought of it as a, as a true, as something that would happen after the AT. But yes, going into the TA, just knowing that I beforehand when, when I was doing my research, there weren't a ton of blogs about this trail and there weren't, uh, I mean, the only trail memoir out there is the guy who developed the trail, Jeff. And so I knew that this could be a good opportunity to sort of um, dive into that trail memoir writing that I thought I'd want to pursue. And so I can't say that I did anything different while we were on the trail. I mean, I didn't really feel like, I always journal when we're on long distance hikes. I did on the AT and it's only one little page in a journal. <laughs> and so I did that every night, but it wasn't until 2016 that I actually started writing, piecing all this story together. So it was, um, you know, a few years after we actually hiked. Well, I guess a year and a half after we hiked. <laughs> and so it, it was definitely a plan after this hike to try to pursue that that goal of writing a, a memoir. And so for you, I mean, you're a writer by nature that, you know, that was your big trade before you've kind of fell into the outdoor. Well, I guess you still write because you write for Backpacker and Snooze and all these other different places. But, you know, you're more an article writer. Now you're a novel writer. How is that different for you? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I kind of, I, when we returned from New Zealand, I did pitch lots of different magazines and different blogs, just again, to get the word out about the TA and to sort of practice my writing about this story. And so, you know, articles are different than writing about yourself. And I found the writing process to be fun and exciting and reliving my memories and sort of um, 
putting more details into it. I, I thought it was lovely. I, if I could do this all the time, <laughs> I would. Yeah. <laughs> but it was certainly the publishing process that was much harder. And so anybody who wants me to write a book, I'm happy to. <laughs> but it's not as easy as uh, saying it out loud. Right, right. I completely understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think most I think most people get the idea that it is it's it's hard to publish and you know you had to put a proposal together and pitch it and get a lot of rejections and so I mean I understand. I was just going to say yeah the publishing process uh I think that a lot of people don't uh don't know enough about it. And I don't think I even knew enough about it. And, you know, nonfiction is different than fiction in that process. But I feel like it's just, uh, it, some people think, oh, yeah, you just get paid to write this book, right? And we, I even had this one person recently say to me, oh, you published a book, so you're never going to have to work the rest of your oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's like back in the day when, you know, <laughs> When people got advances and were Stephen King-esque. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the publishing process and um, and world has changed so much. And it continues to change. So, it I, I definitely am, uh, encourage anybody who wants to pursue a book to do it. But it's definitely not for um, the faint of heart. <laughs> right. And so you wrote the book in 2016-ish, and then, you know, now it's four years later, you're just now publishing it. So that's kind of puts into perspective the work that went into it and, you know, some downtime in between there. But you've been working hard ever since. Yeah, it does. I mean, I always tell people, well, it took me eight months to write it. And again, that was the most fun part. But querying publishers, I mean, I started in 2017 and... It's just a long process. You know, I, I, I think I sent, ended up sending out 37 proposals, which doesn't sound like a lot. A lot of people, uh, other writers and authors have told me, oh, that's nothing. But this is such a niche topic that yeah. there are so many publishers that I could query. But again, you know, sending out those those proposals, you just sort of send them out into the world and then you sit and wait. And a lot of times they don't get back to you till six months to a year later. And so I actually ended up only hearing back, getting 20 rejections and other people I just never heard back from. And, you know, there were a few like near misses where there were talks and there were possibilities along the way. But that part, it was like a two year process. Mm -hmm. So um, I know, I know a lot of people in the hiking community, they're going to say, well, I go on Amazon and I can read, you know, so many different books that are self-published. Why, why didn't you choose that route? Yeah, that's a million dollar question. I think, you know, again, that publishing world is so nuanced and it, every, it's different for every, every person. And knowing what I knew about self-publishing, which really can only fit into a fortune cookie. I, I don't know a whole lot. But just from what I heard from other people who were self-published, it felt to me like I would never be able to navigate that world effectively. I would stress myself out too much. I needed that hand-holding. I wanted, I mean, I wanted the really traditional publishing route. I ended up with a hybrid publishing route. And that has been perfectly fine because it had it did include all that hand-holding. And now the marketing part is left up to me, which marketing myself is icky. I don't like it, but, <laughs> but it is what it is. And I just feel like I learned so much along the way, but I would do this again in a heartbeat. I still wouldn't self-publish. It's just not for me. It's not, it, it's for other people. Other people have been very successful at it, but it's just not for me as far as I knew. Okay. So people are excited about the TA. Now they want to read your book. Now where, Where's the best way that they can buy it? Where where should they go and, and go buy your book? Yeah, so this is another thing that I learned in the whole process, um, you know, with uh, publishing. It is available on all those websites where you would buy books like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. But um, 
buying directly from authors support us the best. So I would say if you are in the U.S. and you want to buy my book, then please go to wanderinglevines.com and you can purchase the book there. Um, <laughs> again, it's just, it feels so weird to like say, oh, please buy my book and, and go to my website. But I upgraded my website so that I can have sales directly from there and I'll sign it if it's requested. <laughs> and so yes, <laughs> I think uh, if you can buy directly from the author, that is something to consider. Yeah, that's and definitely this time of life where everybody is really struggling right now and, and especially authors and nobody's able to get out on book tours like they should be able to get out on. Yeah, if you can definitely go and um, maybe hop off of uh, all the big box stores and go to the directly to whatever author, Patrice's book for sure, but any other author, authors that you uh, are enjoying buy directly from them, I would also suggest that. So. <laughs> Okay, so I know it's a little bit uh, awkward right now with COVID, and normally you'd probably be on a speaking tour. What's kind of your marketing platform, and where would uh, people normally be able to kind of follow you, or what's your plans to adapt, I guess? Yeah, no, I definitely would love to do a book tour. So because Justin and I were so excited about this book when I wrote it in 2016, we actually did a speaking tour on our own uh, in 2017 in the summer. And I think we ended up doing the, about 40 different talks um, across the United States at different uh, retailers, mostly REIs, but other smaller uh, shops and even breweries. And so I would love to do that again. But... I don't think that's going to be possible anytime soon. And so not being able to meet face-to-face -face definitely makes marketing harder. So I am trying to navigate all of those online venues. And I spend most of my time on Instagram and blogging on our website. Um, I've been blogging since 2018, and I love telling stories. So I will continue to do that. And so I'm going to just try to mix in some stories about the book writing process and and remind people that this is this is where there's a lot of TA information and if you are at all having wanderlust um, and miss international travel or have always wanted to go to New Zealand then this trail memoir is a good um, cozy read for the winter yes I, I I personally highly recommend it I was laughing and I wanted to like you know, scream when y'all were wanting to scream and I could feel the mud and I could feel like the anxiety about crossing all of those rivers. And at the same time, I was like, I want to be there. I want to go see this. I want to go travel. And I also liked um, when you were just writing about traveling, th walking through the neighborhoods and seeing things like that. That's also just something, you know, interesting, you know, that I do when I, when I, when I'm hiking on <laughs> on a trail, just taking in the neighborhoods that you wouldn't normally see that a trail winds you through. And I appreciated just, I don't know, getting a glimpse of New Zealand uh, through the pages of a book. So I wow, enjoyed that. I'd love to hear that. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. I just wanted people to be there with us. <laughs> yes. So something else about the book that I thought I, I really appreciated was that you kind of wove into... Your, what, what you do currently in uh, teaching Leave No Trace Ethics. And I liked that you wove that into the story, even though at that time you weren't necessarily um, in the position you are in now, but you were still already in that mindset. So maybe because people are listening here, getting outdoors during COVID times, maybe you can just touch a little bit on Leave No Trace Ethics on, you know, hiking a long distance trail and especially maybe hiking in a trail in another country too. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So I, I mean, Justin and I have always been passionate about Leave No Trace and we have had a contract job with them since on and off since 2018 and it actually just ended up in November. And so, but we're always going to preach the Leave No Trace message. And so even back then in 2014, 15, we were talking about it and we were actually applying for the traveling trainer job at that time when we were in New Zealand. And so it was amazing to us to go to another country and see how different approaches, again, having that cross section of people, international travelers, 
the Leave No Trace uh, level of knowledge was certainly lower than what we had experienced on the Appalachian Trail and when we worked at the hostel. And so every opportunity we could, we we sort of used it as like teachable moments. And, you know, what what kind of example can we set for these international hikers who have never heard of Leave No Trace or maybe are out here on a trail for the first time? And so I, we felt like it was a really great opportunity. And, you know, these days in, in our work with Leave No Trace, uh, we have seen so many newcomers to the outdoors. Of course, this is where we're all flocking to because it's potentially the safest place to um, keep ourselves sane. And so people are going outside. And unfortunately, most people that go outside don't have that basis of how to connect with the outdoors responsibly. And, you know, we always like to say it's not really their fault. A lot of the behaviors are unintentional. And that's exactly what we experienced when we were on the TA. You know, people were open to the idea, to the examples that we were setting. They just didn't know any better. And that's kind of like the basis with Leave No Trace. We have seven principles and they're really guidelines. They're not rules. They're just guidelines. You have to develop your personal ethics. But I, I think once people are knowledgeable about the areas that they're hiking in and, and the why behind the behaviors, then they're definitely open to uh, being more responsible. I well, I definitely appreciated that you you wove that in there because I think that is something a piece that gets missing uh, from a lot of books and a lot of stories, and I just appreciate it just because I also know you, so it was just fun to see these little I don't know Easter eggs a little bit, I guess you could call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so to, I guess to tie back to the Florida Trail just a little bit because this is the first episode of the new season, people are probably like, I wanted to hear the Florida Trail, and I'm hearing about New Zealand. I know you guys did have a Florida trip within the last year or so. Um, What did you guys do? You guys did a lot of different stuff. And I think you guys even got to go to Jonathan Dickinson State Park where I I told you all to go, right? Yes. Yes. On your suggestion. Yes. Oh, Misty, you are trying so hard over the years to get us to do the Florida Trail. (laughs) And I... I mean, I always say never say never. So you never know, we might end up on it. But you know, we certainly have not spent a ton of time in Florida as a couple. Justin actually used to work for the mouse back in the day in college. And so he he knew Florida in a very different way. But in 2019, we took a, a big road trip and we included Florida and our um, one of our goals is to visit all the national parks so we wanted to get to the three national parks in Florida and um, so that was part of the road trip and again your suggestion on going to some of the state parks and oh my goodness we were so impressed it ended up being one of the highlights of our entire road trip which I think we ended up doing 7,000 miles on that road trip so to say that Florida was a high point, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, always, I always say that the sun and heat and sand are not really my thing, but we absolutely loved our time there. Especially, yeah. and you know, people always ask me to rate my national parks because I think um, I think now we've been to, oh gosh, maybe 56. I'm not sure out of the 61 or two that there are. Or 63 are there now? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dry Tortugas, it, it turns out, will be in my top five listing because we just love that 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 park that's all the way at the end of Florida. I mean, you have to work really hard to get <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah, and I feel ashamed that I lived there for so long and we never made the effort to go, to go there. And, and it's just, it's like one of those bad things. Like, I lived there and I didn't go. I can't believe it. <laughs> Well, it's hard. I mean, as you and I have talked about, I mean, it's hard to get there. And we, we ended up uh, camping there because just yeah. to be able to spend more time and, and have it as a, a real wilderness experience. But yeah, I would highly recommend um, if you live in Florida, you're a little closer, but it's still it's still way out there. Yeah, yeah. And that is that's the other thing is like you get to Key West and you're like, Oh, it's still way out there. You've got to take a boat or a plane, and it's yeah, it's it's a hard one. <laughs> Those remote uh, national parks never disappoint, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, remote. You guys just drove to the top of Alaska in, last summer, so hey, that's 
pretty crazy too. <laughs> I know. I guess remote is part of our life. <laughs> yes. We're always going to those far reaching corners. <laughs> yes. So I guess what's next for you two and your life less ordinary? I mean, you've got this cool cabin, you know, outside of Denali. I mean, that's pretty stellar life set up there. I mean, you guys had a Lynx at your outhouse the other day. That's like awesome, awesome, scary, I guess. <laughs> yeah, life in Alaska is certainly exciting. And I, Justin's been trying to convince me to go there, to live here, to come here and live. Um since he came up here in 2002 or three, three, I think. And so it took me some time to get on board with it because it's just way out here. But Alaska never gets old. I mean, if you love wildlife and you love wild places, then it's a perfect spot to live. Now, with that being said, it's negative 20 out here today yeah. <laughs> in, in November. So, I mean, it's not for everybody. Just like through hiking is not for everybody. But I would say that Justin would probably disagree with me, but I we bought this cabin in August uh, last year, and I am in it for the long haul. I love being settled in a little tiny cabin outside of Denali National Park. I have trails right out my front door and links by the outhouse, so <laughs> I am as content as can be. After nine years on the road, I'm, I'm pretty settled. Of course, big passion project is getting that book out there because even though the writing process was awesome and easy for me and the publishing process was really tough, now marketing is my next battle. Yep. And that'll get you out of the cabin a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully in the next year we'll be able to see and travel and get out there more. And maybe you guys will swing back down to Texas and, uh, we can get you some REI and some other other places where you can get on the road and and, and market that book and you get people out. And, and, you know, Texas is another place where we've always been really impressed. Justin was born there and, again, had a very ex different experience back in the day. But when we've driven through there and visited with you and you've taken us to some of your most loved places, we've always been wildly impressed. In fact, Big Ben National Park is in our top five for national parks. So <laughs> once again, there are always highlights in these far-reaching co corners of the world. <laughs> yes, yes. And Bar Big Ben is on our list to get to. We haven't been in 20 years, so that's on our list to get back to, as is the Guadalupe's. And there's mm -hmm. just so many cool places to get to. I mean, we're just like you. There's so many places, not enough time or money and, you know. <laughs> all those excuses we make yeah we have we have to this is life <laughs> yeah of course of course and so we're going to try to wrap up here but I do want to ask mention because Justin wasn't on this on the podcast here but how did Justin support you in the writing process oh he's been my biggest fan from the start I mean like I said I've been blogging since 2008 and he's always like waiting for the next blog and saying, oh, when are you going to blog next? So he's always been a big fan of writing and always said, when are you going to write a book? And when we were hiking and we both thought, hey, this could be a good subject, we sort of decided as life led on in 2015, we thought, you know what? We can make 2016 be the year that I focus on my book. And our life is very non-traditional, so we made a lot of job de decisions that allowed me to incorporate the writing, and he was extremely supportive of the writing process and of me taking time. I did a writer's residency. I did. I actually um, did a writer's retreat and went back to New Zealand, so he was all for it. Um, for me making sure that I put that effort into the writing process. And of course, you know, with the publishing, he's always been, you know, like, oh, well, just keep trying. Just keep going at it. <laughs> <laughs> so he is a big fan and was extremely supportive. And in fact, now that we're at the marketing stage of the book, he is really better at it. And he has this very long list of tasks that I'm supposed to get done and do every day <laughs> in terms of marketing. <laughs> but he's like, you know, he's one of those people um, that is, he can go up to somebody and like sell dirt to a farmer or whatever, you know, <laughs> sell hay to a farmer. <laughs> right. say that. So he's better at that part than I am. In fact, he would love to say something. Okay. What do you want to say, Justin? 
Well, hello, everybody. Um, <laughs> let's see. I would like to say definitely that, you know, this book is amazing, and Patrice is amazing, and it was a long process, and there was a lots, lots of ups and downs, definitely, and, um, you know, I have a lot of dreams, and I have a lot of things that uh, I want to do, a lot of things I want to do with her, and this is something, you know, she did on her own. She really put so much into this, and it's amazing. I mean, I've read the book. And when I was reading it, I was like, this place sounds amazing. This is the coolest trip ever. I was like, these people, wait a minute, that's us. So <laughs> it was just really exciting to to see all that. Oh, hold on. Oh, dinner's timer just went off. But Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, and then one other thing I want to say is like, you know, a lot of people like read our blog and they look at everything we do and they're like, this is the coolest life ever, but it's baby steps. And what we tell people to do is, you know, step out your step outside your boundaries and try some different things. And that's what we really try to do. And this was a different thing. Going to New Zealand was crazy and quitting our jobs, our good jobs to, to hike the Appalachian Trail was crazy, but it's baby steps. And it's all about, you know, stepping outside your comfort level a little bit. And this was a lot of it, stepping out of your comfort <laughs> level for this book. And, you know, it's going to be a success. It's already a success. Our friends, our family, strangers have been buying it. It's great. So, um, well, thank yeah. you, Justin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, job. <laughs> Yay. Good job. I think that that's part of it, too, is, you know, we have built this uh, non traditional life, as we call life less ordinary, and we love to to sort of encourage people to live outside of their comfort zone a little bit and like dream big. Justin is like big on, you know, he's like the audacious dreamer and I'm like, Hmm, how do I make this happen? But sometimes <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work. And you know, sometimes, and that's okay. sometimes we fall. I mean, the, the whole leave no trace job, we hiked New Zealand, wanted this job, applied for this job and didn't get the job as we hiked across mm -hmm. New Zealand. And felt that disappointment and thought, wow, we're the perfect people. We didn't get it. But we just kept fighting and fighting. And finally, we got the job. And we love it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a really valid point to make is, you know, that is sometimes, uh, you know, on paper, our life looks very idyllic. But, you know, we really have to hustle for it. And yeah. it, it's non-traditional, but we wouldn't trade it for the for the regular, you know, status quo life. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to work super hard at a job that we don't like so we can retire at 65 and then can't do what we want to do, you know? So let's do it now. Let's live simply. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you buy a book or two, we certainly can eat a little more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I guess do you have any final thoughts uh, about your book, about the TA? Um, and we've already talked about where people can find the book, but maybe remind them a little bit. And then anywhere, um, your social media handles and things like that. I think to wrap it up, like I would say that the TA was the hardest thing that I did, well, besides trying to publish a book, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. So no one that goes to New Zealand is going to be disappointed. And again, if you are into long distance hikes and you like doing the human powered route, it's a great way to see and experience the country. And if you ever have any questions about the TA, I know I'm a few years removed from it, but I'm happy to answer any questions that I can because I think other hikers are the best resource for it. Um, and so read my book. <laughs> That's also another way to learn about the TA. If it's an inkling in your mind that it's something you want to do. Um, I think it's a good trail memoir that captures the essence of New Zealand and hiking over there and traveling internationally there. And I think that might be it. But find me on social media. I blog at wanderinglevines.com. I can spell it if you want, Misty, but I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put a direct link okay. so people can check that out and uh, they'll be able to find it there. Okay. I also spend a lot of time on Instagram and you can find me at, at Patrice Justin. And I think that might be it. 
Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing a little bit uh, to Florida Trail hikers about the TA. Um, hopefully they will uh, be interested in, in the book and check out the book and maybe even someday when it's safe to fly over to New Zealand, do some tramping down there and uh, exploring a little bit of the trail there. Yeah, you got that right. Uh, and thank you again for having me on the show. And don't worry, the Florida Trail is on the very long list. <laughs> That's understandable. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Patrice and Justin's trek through New Zealand and the ups and downs of putting together a trail memoir. Patrice and Justin are often traveling throughout the U.S. and hopefully once COVID is clear and traveling is safe again, Patrice and Justin may be in your part of the country doing speaking engagements. Until then, you can find them online at the links in the show notes of the podcast website, orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com. And the podcast is at orangeblazepodcast on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, happy hiking.